Blog Talk Radio. Radio and uh, alongside Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez. Exciting show we have today. We're going to dive into the Legends Football League 2016, the list as put out by LFL360.com. And then we're going to go dive into the women's uh, recap here in a couple of minutes. There's a lot of exciting things are happening in the women's game as well. And since it's our pre Christmas edition, then uh, we're going to dive into obviously college football coming into the bowls um, madness that gets down to this uh, December and January right before the big bowl uh, Alabama against Washington and then we're going to dive into week 15 in the National Football League in terms of the playoff picture so alongside uh, Troy Wilson and Keishi Free should be joining us here uh, shortly uh, how's it going Troy I'm doing horribly man you know, went to the game last night, watched my Redskins get beat up pretty much by the Carolina Panthers. You know, just putting out a – just a piss-poor effort, man, just all the way around. You know, we I haven't seen this team get beat down like that since week one against Pittsburgh, and you thought they got over that. And apparently they didn't. So, you know, I sat out in the cold. It was a – you know, it was a good, like, 20 degrees out there. So, um, yeah, I'm not happy about it, man. 
How about you, man? How was your weekend? Uh, I'm in the same boat you are because I had the Washington Redskins on the, uh, you know, on my fantasy, uh, on my fantasy scorecard on FanDuel, and Crowder and Garcon and Deshaun and nobody gave me any points and piss poor Cousins played horribly. So uh, yeah, wasn't a happy camper either. And I had played them because I figured they were going to have a great game against um, Carolina, and it turned out to be the opposite. Carolina actually showed up. Yeah, man. The, the crazy thing was that when you watched the beginning of the game, it looks like it looked like Carolina didn't even want to show up. Like you know, Cam Newton just looked pretty uninterested. Uh, he was trying to get warmed up at the beginning of the game. Uh, wasn't as typical, you know. Uh, typically, the guy comes out a little bit fired up, and he just looked you know, kind of down. He's been beaten up this year, and I was hoping the Redskins took advantage of that. But, you know, I mean, listen, this team has zero playmakers on defense. I mean, you got Josh Norman out there, and you got, you know, you got Ryan Kerrigan, and then you have, you know, uh, players like Baker. They're coming on, you know, at the defensive tackle spot, but they're everywhere else. I mean, you you, you pretty much have guys that just, just flat out not getting it done. And to watch them blow coverage after coverage after coverage, it's disheartening, man. So, I mean, just waiting for the offseason. Even if the Redskins do make the playoffs, I don't anticipate that they're going to go very far. So, um, yeah, honestly, I'm looking forward to the draft right now. So, that, that's what that's what I'm doing about it right now. So, you're in the same boat I am. You're saving your guacamole and chips for the next season, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm going to enjoy the playoffs, you know, not have that nervousness when when I'm watching it. I'll just enjoy watching football and, you know, thinking to myself, you know, what could have been with my team. Yeah, I mean, that's – it's disheartening. But, you know, you get to enjoy football a little bit more when your team is not playing anymore. So I'm just waiting for these two weeks to be over with and see what happens. Yeah, I was in the same boat after week one, and I still feel that same way right now. <laughs> pretty crappy, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, man. Uh, I did get my wish My Christmas wish did come true So uh, I gotta give Santa the big You know, applaud I guess For the nice gift For giving me the December gift Uh, That was great Um, So uh, Troy, since we're on like A a downer, let's get back on an up Mode Uh, We got a lot of women's great iron being played Internationally still, there's a couple leagues Kicking off in Spain and Valenciana and then um, a couple things happen in Lexva. So but we'll start off. Uh, I'll just go through the recap here, and then we're going to dissect the defensive players in the Legends Football League 2016. And I know you like defense, so um, some of those names are going to be familiar to you that we talked about during the season. So we'll we'll give your insights there. And hopefully, uh, I don't know if Inkishi is going to join us. She said she was running a little. So we'll see if she joins us, and then we can actually dive into uh, the NFL of course, uh, she'll be probably up and up about her Cowboys, as usual. And then uh, we'll dive into that. It just gives us more misery to talk about, I guess. And she'll be gloating about her how about them Cowboys. Um, yeah. The women's game, let's go with the recap here in the women's game. Um, in Lexpa, down in Mexico, Division One was taken care of uh, last uh, about a week ago. And so this week, it was basically uh, Division Two uh, on the lower scale, and the champions, uh, Legionarios, uh, they won 26 to zero in a shutout. 
versus Centarios. Uh, the uh, Legionarios finished six and one overall in game in uh, with the, with the championship win. Uh, back-to-back titles once again for this, similar to the Vikingas in FSX Mexico. And you had talked about it before, Troy, to go back-to-back. on an, uh, they, they play an eight-game slate, almost eight-game slate, nine with the championship. You've got to be really good to come back at, you know, two seasons in a row and really nail and get the, and, and get the hardware. Yeah, I mean that's that, you know that's what it's all about, and it's just trying to find that excellence. So it seems like that right now they have that balance that you need to be a championship team. And in the Liga, uh, in the LFFALE champions, it's a brand new league in Mexico, and they kicked off this season, the inaugural season. Uh, Bucaneros win 21 to 18 against the Venadas, which is the Bucks. Uh, they win against the Bucks 21 to 18. Pretty close game for about two and a half quarters. They they pretty much held off in the fourth quarter on a defensive uh, play. And so the Bucaneras win the LF, LF, LFFAE uh, championship, inaugural championship, versus the Venadas, UAM. And so 21 to 18 there. Uh, you can follow the Spanish uh, league on the opposite side of Spain, which is in La, uh, Valencia. And the LF, LVFA uh, action kicks off this, kicked off this past weekend. Uh, they had to delay the game this weekend on December 18th because of uh, weather, but they will restart week two coming up this week. So they had to put it off because of uh, some lightning and all that other Mother Nature stuff that doesn't doesn't vote well for you if you're on the field and you got a, a helmet of steel. It just jolts. You're waiting for jolts, I guess. It happens a lot in Florida, I presume, right? So LF, LVFA uh, action, um, the Black Demons will be uh, coming over from FIFA Spain, the original league, the Division One. They're going to be um, taking taking care of action in there with Alicante Sharks, the Valencia Fire uh, Firebats, the Los Grado Lions, and as well as the Hornets. So that's going to make up the season. We will follow that all season long between the next uh, 90 days, uh, and uh, we'll keep you up to date on that as well as LFL Hispano, our network partner there, and FIFA underscore Spain will keep us up to date as well, and uh, obviously at Black Demons FA. So um, pretty exciting, uh, Troy, because Spain, two seasons, and then you get the, the major the major league kicks off in another 60 days. So it's, that's very good, right? Keisha, are you there? Hello, 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 hey. and happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Feliz Navidad. I don't, I don't know if I lost, I don't know if I lost Troy here or not, but let me find out. Hold on. See, Troy, are you back? I don't know if I lost Troy or not here. He's it's still on the board, but I don't know if he, I think he ran away because you came on and his Redskins paid so poorly. Maybe that's the case. Uh, no, I wouldn't away. do that Sam. I would not do that to Troy because I need um, the Skins and I need the Philadelphia Eagles to tear up the Giants so that they can push them out of playoff contention. So you actually do need Troy. That's That's actually nice to hear. I absolutely need Troy. Besides, the Redskins did not play – the Redskins did not play that that well, but um, 
We'll finish up the recap here for the women's game. I was saying Valencia no, go right ahead. in Spain. In Spain, uh, the uh, second division league just kicked off last week, and then this week they didn't play, obviously, because of uh, thunder and lightning and all that stuff with Mother Nature. So you know how that goes right. with helmets. Just not a good thing. Oh, my so, gosh, um, yes. But at Black Demons FA, uh, you can follow the that the league there. We will also keep tabs on NFL uh, NFL Hispano as our network partner to give us up the updates and some of the highlights as well. And then uh, you can check out our stories and videos on our Facebook page. Uh, that includes this uh, past week we had Andre Volt of the Minnesota Vixens, who obviously moved from the IWFL to the WFA for the upcoming 2017 season. Man, that's going to be had, wild. Uh, yeah, and we also had Tony Fuller from the Austin uh, Jello Jackets in off-season mode, in gym mode, late gym mode. She was at, she was midnight workout, and so we thought it was very inspiring. And uh, she plays with the IWFL, of course, the Austin Yellow Jackets in the playoffs, got beat by the uh, Utah Falcons last uh, last season in the playoffs. So, But she's she's already hungry to get back and get the hardware. So, She's really Man, very inspirational, be... so shout out to Tony Fuller. Well, I, I'm really going to be keeping my eye on the IWFL because I know, you know, to our fans, it may seem like we pay more attention to the WFA, especially with the DC Divas being here, you know, and it's right here in my backyard. And, um, you know, so in that regard, yes, you know, I am more in tune to what the Divas are doing. However, with all of these changes, and you know, I, I'm interested to see how much longer the IWFL structure, you know, is going to be able to last, and, and how many of their teams are going to remain, you know, in that league this year. So it's yeah, the real the real issue is yeah, the real issue is going to be travel expense. <laughs> That's probably going to be the real issue because once you dilute yourself narrowly. Then you're you're basically scattered all the way around, and you don't have enough uh, teams close to you, so that becomes a big financial burden. And I think that's where a lot of the teams ended up migrating to the uh, w, WFA, as we talked to Mike Vermey before. It's because of the fact that it's a closer proximity. They have a rival or a couple rivals, you know, closer in state, less travel time. So instead of you know doing six hours, you're only doing about an hour and a half or two, or even less than three hours. So that makes more sense financially because you're not staying overnight. You can actually travel and, and be back and sit in a six-hour trip, uh, even though that's a you know still a heavy burden. But still financially, it still uh, helps out everybody, even the franchise as well as the players. So that oh, might so be, uh, as you're saying, that that could be one of the uh, what do you call it, uh, Achilles' heels that breaks the IWFL. With, but that it has happened in the past where they've re- reenacted themselves, but they've come back. So uh, we can't, you know, completely count them out. I'm pretty sure they're going to have some sort of game plan for it as well. Um, so, you know, starting starting in uh, this uh, breaking news, um, we had breaking news last night. Uh, I was uh, about to go to bed, and all of a sudden I get this prompt and breaking news from uh, Australia uh, via our partner network, uh, Gridiron um, Down Under. And so the breaking news is Football Canada is – supposed to announce that the 2017 IFAB World Championship, the World Women's Championships, will be in Vancouver, British Columbia, coming June and July. So IFAB has not officially announced it because they're, they're a broken oh, wow. system right now. There's two, there's two parties fighting for, you know, 
the rights to the organization. Um, okay. IFAB 1, if you want to call it, or IFAB 2, if you want to call it. Two, two factions really not working together at this point. But anyways, um, from the sources, or my sources, and from the sources that our network our partner has, uh, they were told via Queensland uh, parties uh, in Queensland that the uh, Women's World Championships obviously will be held in Vancouver, and it will be hosted by Football Canada. So great job um, to the uh, WWCFL, the MWFL up in Canada, who will be the host um, organizations for the IFAB 2017 World Championships. So everybody's going to be heading to Vancouver. Pretty pretty nice site in Vancouver. It's a real nice city and uh, very exciting. So uh, hats off to Football Canada, and that's our breaking news from last night. Wow, that's going to be amazing. That is that is really going to be amazing that they're going to be in Vancouver. And and I have to say hats off. And, and again, for those new fans who are just, you know, tuning in, I have to say that Canada so far has been one of the most progressive countries in terms of supporting and um, connecting their women's football league to their men's football league. And, I, and I'm very curious as to, you know, why that is, because if, um, American football is really starting to pick up in Canada as well. Yeah, they have a good relationship community-wise with the CFL, and the CFL isn't as big, obviously, as the, as the NFL, but uh, it's Canada's NFL, if you want to break it down that way. So it's it's a great thing that they have, especially in Saskatchewan, which is the, probably the biggest or the most uh, prominent pro, uh, providence. Um, they have a very, very good uh, stronghold there, as well as in Alberta uh, with the Calgary Stampeders um, and then the Alberta um, – Alberta, the uh, Edmonton es- uh, Eskimos. So it's a it's a really good time. And you know, for for the U.S. team, this is uh, closer to home, less travel. The the, uh, the girls don't have to spend so much money to get to Vancouver. Some of them are probably nearby, like up in the, on the west coast. It's going to be a lot cheaper uh, than on the east coast, of course, or traveling overseas like they've done uh, the past uh, couple uh, years in Finland and in Sweden, which is a great international experience, but you know, financially, it's not as bad of, uh, of a burden. And so everybody is coming over, uh, BAFA women, Australia, Germany, Austria, you know, all the teams, Spain, Italy, uh, whoever's going to be in the tournament at this point is going to be traveling to Vancouver. So it's really exciting. The Canada team, obviously, they've won silver the last two tournaments in 2010 and 2013. So guess what their goal is? Gold <laughs> on homeland and trying to beat the uh, Team USA. So that's probably going to be their biggest uh, goal right now. They're probably as excited, if not, sort of like when in hockey when uh, Team USA versus Team Canada. It's always a great rivalry in hockey, too. So maybe that's going to turn out oh, to be a showdown. And it's been a showdown rivalry. the last two uh, world championships. So I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be any different this time. But it would be awesome for uh, Team Canada to win goal at, on home as hosting the championship. Yeah, well, of course, I'm. I totally agree, but I'm. I'm. I'm so Team USA, so you know, I'm a little biased. And of course, you remember, and it's a different sport, but the U.S. women's um, soccer team took home the World Cup in Canada. So I think they're a little tired of us winning on their soil. <laughs> True, uh, but I can tell you right now, a lot of the WWCFL uh, players 
more than happy to do that. Especially uh, majority of are going to uh, majority of are going to come off the Saskatoon Valkyries, so uh, they're obviously the best team in in Canada. So uh, you know a lot of them are going to be on that roster, and they're going to be competitive, and they want to win the gold. So two silvers isn't going to cut it for them. And their 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 focus, I'm pretty sure, is to ups, upset and and get gold this especially if they're hosting it. So that's going to be really exciting. Uh, the other exciting news we have to announce is Serena D of the five-time champion team legacy out of the Guam Women's Tackle Football League uh, has come on board to be a no-joke football supporter along with um, MVP Gianna Sarasol. So both of them are for our first two no joke football supporters in the island of Guam. So I cannot be no uh, more proud. And they're part of the five-time champion team legacy. So both MVP caliber players. And uh, congratulations to her and her willingness to help our project and our awareness project. So Serena D and Gianna Sarasol now uh, part of the No Joke Football brand family out of the Guam Women's Tackle Football League. So congratulations to them. And we have a survey uh, as we leave 2016. We want to focus on 2017 already. And so as followers of our sites on Facebook, Twitter, and all our social sites, uh, we want to get your feedback on what you want us to do, how to improve our coverage, what kind of information you want us to come out with and uh, showcase throughout the year. And so if you can take our survey, it takes a couple minutes of your time on Facebook, there's a survey on Facebook as well as there's a survey on Twitter, and it's going to be for this week only. So if you get uh, get a chance, go to our Twitter feed, take the survey there, or you can go to the uh, and link to our Facebook page and get the survey there as well. We really appreciate it. Um, so 2016, it's a pre-Christmas edition of our show. So um, Troy and Kishi, I wanted to, I'll, I'll give you guys the platform, give uh, an opportunity for you to shout out. Uh, on some of the uh, people that help you on your Twitter feeds, you know, uh, what they come up. We have our network, and I'm going to shut that out at the end because we have an array of people that we have to mention. But for you guys exclusively, if you guys got anybody that you guys give a shout-out before we end the year here, I know we have one more edition, but this is a pre-Christmas edition and wishing everybody a good Christmas, of course. Um, so if you guys want to give any shout-out, let's go with you and Kishi of anybody that's helped you out on, obviously on Twitter, for example, or your social sites. Oh my gosh, I have um just of course my amazing wonderful beautiful sorors of Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated team Pink and Green Skiwi. Um also I have to shout out the amazing family for the um GT live chat which stands for Game Time Live Chat. And myself and my co-host, Michael Mim, we um, do a live Twitter chat, and we just have an amazing group of um, people who support and participate in the chat. Uh, shout out to Ryan Williams down there in Tampa, Florida, who also um, has been an amazing Twitter um, supporter. Uh, Sideline Pass, best site to go to, especially on Twitter and on Facebook for all things sports-related from a female perspective. And, of course, Gridiron Beauties. And, you know, shout-out to Erica and Eric. Miss you guys. Much love. Hugs and kisses. Troy, you got your shout-outs, buddy? To the Redskins, maybe not today, but, right? 
Oh, well, of course I have to shout out all things Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys? I don't know. Is, is Troy with us? Because I have him on the board, and it seems like he's not not on the board. I don't know why, what's going on with that technical. So this is not a good Christmas yeah, thing. I don't, he's not, yeah, I don't know. I can't tell. It. Yeah, I can't tell either. Troy, are you on? It says he's on on my board. I don't know if the board's malfunctioning here or not. I don't know what's going on with it. Um, so, Troy, if you're listening, uh, try to hang up and call back and um, push option one. See if I can get you back on the board here. So I apologize for muting you. It's not because Nkishi's here. It's because the board's not working. So it's not intentional. Hey, you guys hear me? Oh, there, there you, you are. are. Hey, Troy, what's up, man? I thought I had there accidentally muted you or something. No, I've been having issues. So I'm not sure what's been going on, but yeah, I, I got All right, back. so don't feel bad. Troy, we're doing like, shout out. Uh, Casey already did her shout out. Too. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to um, uh, Per Sources Sports. Um, guys always um, uh, they always have great questions on there. Uh, nuts and bolts sports, uh, game time live chat. Um, also, uh, Living Room GM on Facebook. Those are my guys on there. We always keep it real trill. I love that. Um, of course, Gridiron Beauties. You guys are awesome. And, of course, uh, Nkishi Free, who always, you know, throws me in the middle of some kind of Twitter war that she has going on there about sports and I always enjoy that. So we always keep it real, real lovely on there. So, yeah, definitely shout out to all of them. I don't throw you all in right, the please. Twitter wars. I engage you. Of course you I do. I engage you in instructive. No, I engage you in instructive and informative conversations that allow you Is to that what you call it, show off your chops. No, no. I allow him the opportunity to show off his fabulous chops in sports knowledge, which, oh, before I forget. You're I allowing him the opportunity. Troy, you're being allowed the opportunity. Did you hear that? Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you allowing me to do Thank you, Angie. Well, only to say you said I saw you on the Twitter chat. Um, no, I don't. What I do is because you know, I give you the opportunity and the platform to be your amazing sports self. But let me also give a big shout out to my boy Pete and my boy Rook because they are also two amazing dudes. Pete is a diehard Patriots fan, but he gives my Cowboys much love. How how can he do that? He'll probably face you in the Super Bowl. What kind of person is that? Gonna be probably facing you in the Super Bowl. How can he give you so much love? Because you know what, Pete recognizes that Rooks and I are just two awesome Cowboys fans, and he has mad respect for the team and for our love and knowledge of the game as well as our team. I think you'll be hating Belichick at some point if you have to meet him in the Super Bowl. So there's not much love there after that. The love will be determined by who wins the game. That's true. That's true. Anyway, so I just want to poke fun at that. I, you, you know, your Cowboys are doing so well that we we can't even sway off from talking about them. How, how's that? And then I have to apologize now because apparently the Tono, uh, Tony Romo coming back, uh, Jerry Jones just slapped me in the, in the face and said that's not happening. So I could just get off that soapbox now. Well, the reality is that he, until he opened his mouth about Tony, Dak was going great. He was doing great. And then Jerry had to open his mouth with the Tony comments, 
And then Dak had a, a crappy game. Now, let's be clear. He's going to hit some rookie wall. He's going to hit some rookie mistakes. And I'm okay with him making mistakes. But I don't need to hit the panic button. Just allow him to make the mistakes. And at the end of the day, what I'm happy about is the fact that we now at least have hope and an opportunity. Tony has been an amazing quarterback for this team. All the naysayers can say whatever they want. Tony Romo has been an amazing undrafted quarterback who has held his own and stayed in the top 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL against other drafted except for Tom Brady who went in the sixth round. And, you know, he's never had a quality backup. And that's one of the things that's always hurt this team is when he goes out, so goes our offense. I mean, look at what we went through, what, three, four quarterbacks last year? That's crazy. So regardless of what happens, at least I know we're on the right trajectory. And I would really hope that Tony stays with the team next year because the reality is he's been hurt and broken so much that if a team does not have a solid offensive line to give him the support he needs and not allow the pocket to collapse, he's going to be hurt. So he better stay right here where he has a chance to still play and be a great backup. Yeah, and plus the you bench feel like- has a lot of support. The, the bench has a lot of support also. I mean, those benches are pretty sturdy. Like, when you sit on them, your back feels pretty good. So he should I, – I would I would think that he would stay too, not to mention he does have, you know, uh, excess of a $100 million contract. I think it bodes well for Tony Romo. Good support on the bench and a $100 million contract. I would stay if I were Tony Romo too. Oh, <laughs> That was good. It was good. I, I, I didn't know where you were going with that, but yeah, I agree. There's the bench is a sturdy option for him. You know what? You know what? You know what? You know what? I'm not even going to say nothing about your team right now. That's all I'm going to tell you. Oh, I, I, I've said, I've said it all. I've said it all. There's nothing you can say about my team that I haven't already. They, yeah. they stink. You know what, and Kishi, uh, if you cut me right now, I'd be bleeding very profusely with no gauze because I can't even stand up to you right now because my Rams are pathetic. So. Well, <laughs> but pathetic. you know what? My only concern for your team is that you guys have golf, and the reality is you're in a you-broke-it-you-bought-it situation. And honestly, I don't know who would want to come in and quarterback because, you know, that's – between the Rams and the Jags, those are two teams as a head coach. I don't know if I want to touch them because the reality is your legacy is dependent or not your legacy, but your, your tenure with that team is, is going to be tainted depending on either a how wedded ownership is to those quarterbacks and B how much you can or can't turn them around. And if you can't turn them around into winning quarterbacks and you can't get rid of them, you're out just like everybody else. That's true. I'm just, you know, the reality is, like I told uh, Troy earlier, our our season ended after week one. We got the beat down from the Niners. And the only celebration I have is the gift on Christmas, which is, you know, Fisher being fired. So I'm okay with that. I'm moving on to the Los Angeles Kings season uh, against the Washington Capitals, hopefully at some point here, if the Capitals advance to the fi- to the finals, uh, which they've had trouble doing, right, Troy? A very long time. But 
We'll see how it goes in terms of hockey. But um, we are going to anyways. keep our fingers crossed in my Washington Capitals. C A P S Caps Caps Caps. Yes, I am a diehard loyal Washington Capitals fan. I spent two years working with the franchise um, in my early sports uh, part of my sports career. So I have nothing but loyalty and love, um, and I boldly, proudly rock the red. We finally agree yeah. on something. Yeah, Avinskin's no, no joke. I can tell you that right now. Pretty awesome player. So um, anyways, um, Troy, let's go into the list before we uh, go back to the NFL here. Let's go to the list. Uh, it was actually put out by LFL360.com. We talked about the offensive players last, uh, the last segment before uh, the last show here. So this week uh, we're going to talk defensive players, which is, you know, what you love to, you know, talk about, which is linebackers and all that. So let's let's go into the list, Troy. Uh, the Legends Football League tryouts are going to be in January coming up. So you can go to LFLUS.com, get the details uh, on the nearest team next to you if you want to try out. Go to LFLUS.com, and you can find the the latest team. January 7th, uh, Coach Tui uh, sent me a link saying that uh, the January 7th, the L.A. Temptations will have their tryouts as well as the Seattle Miss are going to have their tryouts on January 7th. So go to the Seattle Miss on Facebook or L.A. Temptations on um, Los Angeles Temptation on Facebook. Um, Troy, let's go to the list here. Let's try to dissect this. Defensive categories, the top three defensive ends of 2016. Uh, so you might agree with them or disagree with them, but uh, they they had Chantel Taylor of the Champion Bliss, Yashi Rice of the Champion Bliss, Shantae uh, Cherie uh, of the Dallas Desire. Shantae Cherie, just to point out, she was on the squad the year the, the Omaha Heart was the top defensive squad in the LFL, which is about two years ago. Um, so, you know, credit her. She was on that squad. Beast, beast line there. Um, what do you, what can you, Troy, what do you say? Chantel Taylor, always, you know, it's a, it's a big girl, and she's always been on at the top. She's won championships, obviously, with, her, uh, with this team, so she knows how to win. Um, she's also been able to, I think she had 12 tackles, 10 solos, two sacks, four tackles for a loss in five games. Um, she's very, very skilled on the edge. Um, you also have Joshi Rice, who's supposed to retire, going to a singing career. Um, 14 tackles, six of them were behind the line of scrimmage. She recorded four sacks and nine solo tackles in her, in her final season, and she's obviously retiring, like I said, moving on to something else. So uh, what can you say about Chantel Taylor? Well, I mean, when it comes down to – saying, you know, who's the best and things like that. A lot of fans, they kind of want to point to numbers and you want to look at sack totals and this, that, and third. But one thing that, you know, I don't think the LFL tabulates yet is hurries. And the one thing that you saw with with both Chantel Taylor and Yashi Rice is the way that they come off the edge. And they play the pass just as well as they play the run. And so that's another thing that doesn't really get tabulated when it comes to you know, uh, when it looks at numbers. So I think that's why Chantel Taylor is up there because, I mean, she really doesn't have any weaknesses. I mean, she is extremely tough to block. I mean, she's long. She's rangy. She has really good, you know, feet coming off the edge. She can bend at the at, at, at the waist. And you don't really see that with a lot of LFL defensive players. 
She can really bend at the waist and get around the corner. She can bull rush. She really doesn't have any weaknesses. So I think that her putting her at number one is correct. And then what Yashi Rice, and I think this is a, what you call, you know, um, a kind of a mirror effect because I think both of those two fed off of each other. And you started to see that. I mean, after that Seattle game in the beginning of the year, they really kind of gelled, you know, on the defensive side. And they really put together some, 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 tough, uh, some tough plays. And they made plays when they needed to make it. And so putting the pressure on the quarterback is one thing. You know, it's not necessarily about sacks. It's more so about getting in the quarterback's face, making them feel uncomfortable. And both of those two did that at, at, at nauseam last year. And then in the final game against uh, K.K. Matheny, they really got in her face and really uh, oh, they yeah. really caused that interception at the end. So they pressured up. Coach Hack, as you were mentioning during the season, this guy's, this guy's you know, obviously coach – men's pro football indoor arena as well and he doesn't he doesn't uh treat these uh, girls as anything less just they treat the same as the men and i think their mindset is that it's just an aggressive mindset uh when they were down during the season um he's the one that said you know it, it's you know it's do or die because it's a four game season and you've talked about it troy it's pressure you know from from game one because you, you don't have a chance to come back it's either you got to win every game or you got to go three and one uh, because you go less than th- anything less than three and one, you're out of this, uh, the playoff picture in the LFL. Yeah. And in some cases like LA, even if you go three and one, you don't make it. So, I mean, every game is a premium. Yeah. I think that's the intensity of it, right? I mean, I don't think anybody you got in the traditional women's game, you got eight games or nine games in this league. Uh, you're you're basically crunched to four, and that means every game is sort of a playoff game. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, they kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of uh, like it is with college football. If you lose a game, I mean, a lot of times you feel like your season is over. And um, it's, it's, it's pretty close to that, you know, when it comes to the LFL. And just, you know, the, so that's why, you know, for me, it's, it's putting defensive players at a premium because if you can get people – who can put pressure on the quarterback and rattle, you know, the the passer in the pocket and, and keep people in the pocket like those two defensive ends also do, and also as well as uh, Shantae Sharif, um, that, that bodes well for your team. I mean, you need defenders. It's, it's that simple. I mean, they, I hate using a cliche, but it's true. You know, defense wins championships. So it definitely starts on that side of the ball. And when it comes to, um, championship defenses, you always have to look at the trenches first. And if you're getting plays, you're getting playmakers in the trenches, that bodes well for your squad. On this list, you had Dallas Desire, Shantae Cherie, who came off the Omaha Hard. Previously, she had played in the LFL from the um, back in, I believe, 2010 with the original team, 2009-2010 with the original Desire. And then she moved on, obviously, to Omaha and then back to her original team. So, there was pride there on the line going back to Dallas. Then uh, your favorite category, linebackers. We start yeah, off we with the, the rookie, Kristen Morrison. What a beast, uh, a complete linebacker, speed and power on the edges. Uh, it, it was proven throughout the season. She was just a beast on the sides. Uh, when it came down to, uh, you know, outmatching some of Atlanta's uh, defenders, she just over, outpowered them. So, uh, deserving uh, an award uh, for Rookie of the Year. Um, so just what can you say about her? You know, I mean, the one thing that you see with her 
is is the same trait that you would see in any top linebacker is that they diagnose very quickly and they get downhill even faster. And that that is that's your typical linebacker, man. I mean, that is your great linebacker. You diagnose. It's 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 a very simple game when you're playing from the linebacker position. Find the ball, get the guy to the ground. It's that simple. But it's like you know, her neurons fire just a lot quicker. And you can see when they blitz her, she comes in there like she doesn't care about you know getting hurt. She doesn't care if it's going to be some pain. She's coming in there with bad intentions. And that and that just bodes well. I mean, you look at the numbers that she has. She has nine sacks. Huge. That is huge in that league. I don't really, I don't think people really understand that. They played four games and she had nine sacks. That's awesome. That is awesome. And then even more impressive, she has 16 tackles for a loss. That's 16 tackles behind the line of scrimmage in four games. I mean, you, you this that that's incredible. So it's just you know when you see when you see players that play like that. For me, when you see numbers like that and then watching how she played on the field, I'm not sure why she wasn't in – was she up for MVP? I mean, because she definitely should have been there. She should have been in the in the, in the tally, just the way that she played. She was just reckless out there, but she was controlled. She was aggressive, and she is all out fast every play. Now, Danielle Hawkins, uh, also, like I said, a staple from the uh, previous Dallas Desire original squad she also played on the Omaha squad that was just a tremendous defensive team uh, about two seasons ago. You bring Shante uh, Cherie, you bring Daniel Hawkins, and then you put the Bullock brothers together, and what did you have? You have a nightmare, uh, and that's what it was. Dallas Desire, besides their disappointing uh, game uh, in the, you know, against Seattle in the playoffs, in the playoff setting, uh, before that they were playing really very good ball uh, for three games, and then obviously in the last, when it counted and when it mattered most, they just couldn't muster a, against the miss. But uh, these Daniel Hawkins, I mean, she she made a na- uh, name for herself as a pass rushing defensive uh, linebacker. So um, 37 tackles, one sack, and four for losses. So she was also a, a difference maker for the desire having a successful season. Yeah, she did that switch from positions. I mean, I, I really don't think people really understand how hard that is to do to go from, you know, constantly going upfield every single play to now have to switch back and diagnose, run, to differentiate, run from pass, and you have to do it very quickly without losing much ground. Because, I mean, if you see, um, when it comes to playing a linebacker, that, that's, that step forward when you think it's a run, it could be all the difference between that tight end getting right behind you on the defense and it being just wide open in that scene. But she played it well. And just imagine, this is, you know, it's her first season playing linebacker. So, you know, now that she has another season under her belt, how quickly is that going to be? And then you also have to take into consideration what Dallas has done. I mean, they brought in Danielle Hawkins over from Omaha. And then you also bring in uh, Shantae Cherie. And then you team that with someone like Jay Randall in the defensive backfield. It's not a question of what the Bullet Brothers are trying to do. They're trying to build a defensive juggernaut. So you want to see what Dallas does next year, especially with the kind of talent that they've compiled so far. And you want to see how they go ahead and take that forward in 2017. And we can't forget uh, former MVP and obviously uh, the talented face of the Legends Football League, Danica Brace. Uh, even though she had maybe a drop-off year based on some injuries, still a, a factor. 
wasn't so much of a factor in the last game, but overall, uh, besides the hindering of injuries, played and recorded, you know, uh, about 34 and a half tackles. So three interceptions and five tackles for a loss. So uh, very still at a high level playing. The diagnostics, again, this, this you talking about Danica Brace, this is somebody who knows how to diagnose what football is. I mean, just taking into consideration the three interceptions, she's got the pick six, five tackles for a loss, a fumble recovery. All that says is that you kind of, you, you're out there and you know what you're doing. And, and you remember when she went out of the game, when she went out of the game against Chicago, that's when they that's when they kind of fell back. That's when they lost the game. It, it, I believe they lost the game against Dallas. Is that correct? She got injured in that game against Dallas, and they also lost that game. So I don't think I mean, when you say you know she didn't have that much of an impact, I thought she had a huge impact when she when she left that game. That was a huge void. I mean, because you can't replace players like that. So to watch her get injured. It, it was hard. It was hard to look at that because after that, the Seattle defense they they just you know became a bit of a sieve, especially in that middle. Because again, all you need is one or two false steps, and you got somebody walking right behind you, you know, catching the pass right over top of your head. So uh, hopefully she gets her stuff together as far as like you know, you know, because she is a hell of a player, and I think if she comes back and she plays the way she normally does, if she plays healthy. She could be moving up. She could be number two. She just possibly she could be number one. I, I don't. I don't know if she'll be able to unseat Kristen Morrison if she has a season like she had last year. But Danica Briggs is one of those awesome players that you see in that LFL in that LFL league. Yeah, I don't think she's dropped off as much as we think she has. Uh, but what I'm saying is the factor was she wasn't available, so that also contributed to to the downside of the Seattle uh, strategy. So to your point, yeah, she's still a high-level elite player. Even with an injury mentality, she's still a big factor in intimidation on the field. Oh, yeah, huge, yeah. I mean, because she has range, and she's fearless. I mean, she likes to hit, you can tell. I mean, you, you see the players out there that want to hit. She's one of those players. So you need you need anybody out there like that when it comes to playing football, somebody who loves contact, and she definitely does. Now, Troy, uh, you loved you some fudge from the Houston, and oh, Selena yeah. Fudge was probably one of the top defensive backs of rookies of 2016. She is basically, um, you know, she showcased what she's all about, helped the acoustics stay in some of those games, major factor. Even Anna uh, Garza had talked uh, talked about it when we interviewed her. You know, Selena Fudge, basically top-notch player. So uh, what can you say about Fudge? Well, I mean, when I first watched the Austin Acoustic, when you're watching football, I, you know, maybe I just watch football a little bit different. What happens is, is, you know, some of the players start to fade away. They get a little fuzzy on the screen. And then you have that, that player that kind of jumps out at you. And they just kind of stand out. They're moving at a different speed. They tackle different. They play the game different. They play with enthusiasm. And as soon as I saw her play, I was just like, who is that? That's, that's Selena Fudge. I said, okay, all right, I'm going to keep my eye on her. And she didn't disappoint. Any time that I saw her play, what you saw out there was a football player. You saw somebody who wanted to play the game. And then when I found out she was a rookie, I said, oh, man, this is this is great. This is great. You love to see players coming in the ground floor with that kind of enthusiasm and then also add the skill set to it. Hell of an athlete. She definitely has quickness. You, what you're going to start to see next year, and I think she started to, to kind of um, – experiment with it, she started to bait players after a while. Man, when you start as a defensive back, 
when you start to bait quarterbacks, now you start to get confidence. And even like after that first game, all you saw was her get confident more and more and more. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing her. She was one of my favorite players of all last year. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing her playing next year. The other one is Lily Granston. And this is the category where you're unchained. And a lot of these players, uh, you would consider them on the street reckless, but on the LFL landscape are what you call freight trains with a punch. Because all of these players in this category, at one point or another, uh, created a lot of big hits on highlight reels. You know, Lily Granston is one of those players who, in a league like the LFL, what she did was she garnered fans. She garnered people to come watch it because the one of the things that the LFL did was put out highlight tapes, and they would put out weekly highlight tapes. She was on it every week. She was on it every week. I mean, she was knocking somebody out, knock, you know, knocking somebody across the, you know, uh, across the field. She would just come down and she would square her shoulders and she will, she would smoke you if you came in her area. And that's the kind of player that you want to see. Anybody who loves football likes to see that. When you see big hits like that, and also they have a leg. They should literally have a leg up there because you know you get fans like that because those hits don't really come often with the NFL anymore. And you don't see it in college football either. So to see the big hits, man, people start to get geared up for that, man. I mean, so, again, friends of mine are just like, man, you see these hits? And I'm looking at it every single week. It was Lily Granson that was on there. So she's definitely getting a, like, she, she's getting a nice little following up there. I love the way she plays the game. Collins is, is basically uh, equated to uh, an attitude player. But I guess she could have that attitude now because she's won three Legends Cups. So I'm assuming you have that right to stand across somebody else and who doesn't have anything in terms of hardware. But uh, she is nasty. If you want to call anybody nasty, she plays nasty football, but she also plays aggressive football. And so she's on this list almost every year. And we're talking Dominic Collins of the champion bliss. Yeah, and when, you know what? And when you team her, you know, with um, with somebody like Tamar Fennell, I mean, you just have you have a solid team overall. I mean, she has three titles. So what that says is she's a winner, and so she's used to winning. And what that does is that breeds leaders. So whenever you see somebody like that, you got leadership back there in the secondary. You got leadership in the at the, at the linebacker position. And that, and you also had leadership at the defensive line position. They're losing one of those leaders, but still, and what a team that they had. And just, you know, another playmaker out there. I mean, she had, you know, four sacks as a defensive back, you know, blitzing. She had 23 solo tackles, five tackles for a loss. You always, I mean, anytime you hear tackle for a loss, what you're hearing is people running downhill. And that is extremely just awesome when it comes for a defensive back because they're usually further back. Or they're playing, you know, um, maybe on the corner or maybe at safety. But still, when you're tackling in the backfield, and she, you know, that what that is is that you're a short tackler and that you're a playmaker. And that's def- definitely what Dominique Collins is. Now, between Fennell, Fennell, the journey for Fennell has been such a struggle. Started in Toledo or Cleveland, if you, you know, of, of all places, the crush. Disappointing team there. Didn't really get into a, a high level. Of you know of success, then she goes over to Australia, 
And then she goes to Las Vegas, kind of a journeyman for her. And she's really, she was just seeking a championship until she got here. Troy, uh, I mean, coach hack, Troy really just was handed such a talented player and to just roster her right on. I mean, he didn't even have to think twice because he already knew what he had. And so it, it was basically a joy for her to come on to a team like the Bliss because it's it's sort of, you know, like you said, a championship pedigree. Yeah, I mean, and she just made plays. And she made plays at the right time. You know, I mean, in the playoffs, she had, the, you know, icing the, the conference playoffs and the Legends Cup finals. Both with interceptions. I mean, that's how you close out games. You you, you get it done, and and she definitely got it done, man. I mean, you know, the journey was long, but I know, man, she holding that, being able to hold that truck, that that, that that trophy. I mean, that's that that's great for her. That's 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 just that's incredible. And so, again, with Dominique Collins and Tamar Fennell back there, I mean, they are super solid, man. I mean, that's that that's that's probably the best defensive backfield in the LFL. So Chicago was sitting pretty right now. Now, what do you say about Coach Hack right now, uh, Troy? If you're Coach Hack and you've been able to do what basically Bill Belichick has been able to do, which is piece people together still with some sort of a veteran crew. So there's like, I I think for him, the formula is pretty simple, right? You just got to keep a certain amount of players on the roster and then kind of filter in new rookies off the tryouts or off the camps. And put you get and put yourself together uh, the same mindset you've had before, which is winning. And he, we already know how much he hates Atlanta. So, yeah, and uh, Atlanta probably hates him more. But I, <laughs> I would say that. Uh, but you know what? With, with Coach Hack, the the good thing with him is, and it's the same thing with Belichick. Okay, I think all coaches get to a you know once they get to a certain point in their careers, not even a certain point, but once you start coaching, you have a bit of a knowledge base, okay? But I think the difference between the good coach, the bad coaches, the good coaches, and the great coaches is how they convey that information. How are they teachers, right? So, obviously, Coach Hat, what he has done, with along with his staff, is be able to coach his players up, is be able to transfer what he knows the information that he knows to his players so they can actually use it, okay? You can have all the knowledge in the world, okay, but as a coach, but if you can't translate that information to usable, tangible results, then what good are you? And this guy, he's done that. You know, he doesn't have to do all the crazy stuff and screaming and catching heart attacks in the locker room. Oh, that's Sorry, shots fired. Um, but, you know, he, he just flats out, get, gets it done. And the guy is super smart. So, I mean, you got to give a shout-out to Coach Hack winning the championship, man. I mean, this is just it's the third one. So, always, this guy's just, he's always on point. Yeah, and the one thing you, you get to see in his highlight reels is just the fact that his attitude is championship attitude. Like, you know, when he says, you, you're just getting beat, you're getting embarrassed. <laughs> That's got to sink into your brain right there when the, your coach is saying, you're just lousy. <laughs> you're lousy. I mean, that right there has got to drill into your head. You know what I mean? I've seen it in a couple of times when they've been down. Remember when they were down against Atlanta the two times, and he just he just basically said flat out, "You guys are just beating yourselves. You're, you guys are not playing our game." Yeah. And so and it's saying, like you know, just reality sunk in. Yeah, and I remember you know saying you have one player that you can't let get behind, and you and you continuously do it. One player. 
And, you know, he just said, don't just don't let her get by. And when they finally got it, they finally understood what he's saying. And, you know, they started to, you know, take away the big plays in a lot of the games that they had. So, again, transferring information. Let's keep it simple. And let's go out there and make plays. All right. I'm super excited for 2017. A lot of rookies in this season. I don't know if they'll return because the Legends Football League is the same way. Um, you know, it just – you hope they'll return. But uh, uh, because of the the type of sport it is, sometimes people after one season decide that it's probably not beneficial for their, their future. But a lot of them have. So hopefully we have, you know, the same the same group coming back this coming season. Look forward to the tryouts January 7th in Seattle and Los Angeles. For the rest of the teams, you can go to LFLUS.com to get the details there. So that was the list 2016 as put out by LFL360.com, dissected by our own Troy Wilson and uh, defensive players. The offensive players we dissect uh, last show, so you can go back and replay our show, as well as any other shows you can replay here and listen to Troy on college football, NFL with uh, Nkishi as well. So, Troy and Kishi, let's move on. NFL. Um, so, and Kishi, I'll, I'll give you the platform. Uh, Dak kind of recovered from his last outing. We expected that. You said, you know, he's going to go through the hiccups. Um, now it's going to be a test of already in the playoffs. So let's hope he doesn't have a hiccup in the when it counts when it's one one game. You know, you're in or you're out. Yes, so. Troy, I think she dropped off. So let me see if she, she's coming back on or not. So uh, let's answer that question, Troy. Do you think he's going to have another hiccup and maybe when it when it's the worst-case scenario, which is basically in the first round? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, it won't be in the first round. I mean, because, well, the first time they play, but yeah. yeah. I, well, I think it will be in the first round. I, I do. Um, they have the bye. They have that week off. I just think I'm just not totally sold that, you know, and maybe it's just because it hasn't happened before. And they do they definitely pass the eye test. But what you've never seen was two rookies who are your headliners of your team taking that team to the Super Bowl. I don't know. Until they do it, I can't believe it. because 'cause I've never seen it happen. And it's just for that for that simple reason. Now again, um Ezekiel Elliott, he passes the eye test. I mean, I knew this guy was gonna be a tremendous back. As soon as, you know, when I saw him at Ohio State, which I I hate Ohio State, but he's a great player, and I knew he was going to be a great player. And um, But I knew he was going to be a beast when he came in the NFL. You tap him behind that Dallas offensive line, I mean, you got you got a monster back there. Um, I didn't anticipate Dak Prescott, but I did watch him in Mississippi State a lot. Uh, he's a guy who was a playmaker. He had great feet, but I had no idea that he would be as accurate as he is right now. But you're starting to see that fall off a little bit. And so what I'm and, – and he, he's still trailing off a little bit. So I just think that um, he's already at the rookie wall. Is he going to push through it or is he just going to, you know, lay by the wall and just kind of fall out and just say, look, too, it's too much for me. And I just think, you know, watching him get confused by that New York Giants team twice – and that New York Giants team, I mean, they they are they are ready, they are ready. I think, and that team right there is better than the 2007 team, and also the 2010 team. Both of those teams won the Super Bowl, so I just think, I don't, I just don't see Dallas winning the Super Bowl. I just don't. Um, I think it'll either be the New York Giants or it'll be the Seattle Seahawks. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, Kishi uh, says that she's uh, her phone's dying out, so she had a bail on us, but that's okay. We'll catch her here next Tuesday. Um, she got her two cents of you know her point of view for for Dallas. Um, so we'll 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 keep going here. Um, and she'll be back next Tuesday as usual. So she'll cover the insights there with the NFL and and all that. So uh, Patriots, you think Patriots are? I mean, this is kind of like easy street for them, right? I mean, I don't think there's anybody here at this point, even if they lose a game coming up or, you know, before the regular season ends, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, well, the Raiders are still there. The Raiders are a game behind them. Um, and, you know, New England does not want to lose home field advantage. They have a distinctive advantage going up to Foxborough in the wintertime in Massachusetts, it's just not nice up there at all. I mean, just the weather is just horrible, especially for teams that aren't used to it. And if you have a team like Oakland, who's, you know, pretty much used to sunshine and, you know, um, you know, very, very good weather out there, it's going to be hard for them to win in that kind of weather. So it's very important that New England uh, keep that train running. And, and as long as they have Tom Brady back there, they will. You know, they have so many injuries this year. Gronk is out for the season. Uh, but they're still chucking. I mean, as long as you got 12 back there, I mean, you got a chance. And so the way that they handled Denver this past week, Denver also being down right now, on, especially on the offensive side of the ball, they they just look really inept. They can't run the football. And, you know, they're having problems throwing the football also. And New England's defense isn't very good. They aren't. You know, if you've seen the teams that they've played the last few weeks, it was the San Francisco, um, uh, the Rams, uh, who else? Who else did they lose to? I mean, uh, who else did they beat? Um, uh, Denver. All of those teams are very inept on offense, and those teams kind of move the ball on them, you know, with the exception of Denver. So going forward in the playoffs, they're going to meet some better teams, especially their Raiders team. I mean, because you see how they can move the ball up and down the field. I just think the biggest issue is is how is the weather going to be there. Yeah, and it's it's you know I think it's rinse and repeat in New England. I think everybody's customer and winning division titles. God, it makes me feel sick because you know <laughs> we haven't won a division title in forever long. You know what I mean? It's just it's pretty bad. But anyways, congratulations to Erica Lynn and the Patriots for uh, you know another successful season, of course. Uh, but, yeah, rinse and repeat. I guess they should just create a shirt because that's what they do every season. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, you know, you you just go ahead and now it's to the point where you can almost pencil them in and say, okay, is Belichick there? Yeah. Is Tom Brady there? Yeah. All right. So they win the division and they're in the playoffs. Are they going to get home field or are they, they going to be the second season? Those, those it's like we have to wait 11 weeks. You, have to, you just have to wait like 11, 12 weeks, and you're like, we'll see you guys then. Even with the four games without him, uh, I mean, so impressive, as you said, with the with the mindset of this organization, the the wins that they got without him. Uh, I mean, it's just it's they're dialed. I mean, they're they are they're about as complete as you can get. And the only you know the only Achilles heel in their history has been the Giants when they beat him in the Super Bowl in that impressive 18, almost 18 win season. But other than that, I don't think there's anybody in the AFC. I really do not see the Raiders. I mean, at this point, because when it comes playoff time, 
it just seems like they get it together. You know, I mean, they know the, they know what it's all about. They understand the level. And if they get beat, it's going to be normally on their own merit, which is mistakes on their behalf. Yeah, I mean, even last year, um, you know, when they played Denver, Denver looked like a complete juggernaut, man, at least on the defensive side of the ball. And I didn't see anybody hang with, um, you know, uh, that Denver team or that Denver defense. And Tom Brady, man, he took, what was it, 24 shots? I mean, the guy was tough as nails, and they still had a chance to win that game in the final minutes. I mean, so, man, they, they're just – they're that good, man. I mean, they're just – they're that good. And I understand people hate them. They're the evil empire. Everybody hates, the, you know, the winner after a while. They, they You know, first they were the underdog when they beat, you know, your St. Louis Rams, um, you know, back in 2001. But all now all of a sudden they've become, you know, the hated, the hunted, and everybody hates their guts. But I just, you know, I, I respect the way that they go, they go about the game of football. And I think anybody who's a football fan and you're not a fan of a team in the AFC East, you definitely have to respect how Belichick and, and, and Tom Brady and the rest of the Patriots handle their business every single week, every single year. You know, uh, Marshall Falk said that um, even on their knees, without a running game, they'd still be dangerous. So he pretty much knows what they're all about. I mean, because yeah. he knows, you know, that, that they'll they'll be able to plug in somebody else that can, you know, go at full speed or even less than that, but still be effective. So um, it's crazy. Um, Oakland, uh, Troy, what do we see in Oakland? I mean, they do a comeback uh, against San Diego, uh, first playoff berth in 2002. Uh, is this going to be one of those needles in the uh, balloon thing where they get in the first round and then they pretty much get they're, – they're done? Because it doesn't seem like they're very solid. They're exciting, but they're not very solid. And lately, uh, Cooper and uh, Crabtree haven't been as effective as they were in the early games. And as we get deeper in here, of course, uh, the teams obviously get up to their level of consistency. And we're talking Kansas City as well as as an example – so, um, you know, can uh, they can't slip up since Kansas City beat them twice, basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, they're a game in front of the Kansas City Chiefs at this point. And so if they lose a game and Kansas City wins a game, then Kansas City would be ahead. And what the Raiders don't want to do is go back to Kansas City. Um, they do not want to play that team, and especially in Arrowhead. Um, the weather is not going to be great. Um, I was surprised that actually Kansas City lost this past game against the Tennessee Titans, who are also an extremely tough team. You've got to give a shout-out to them. Uh, but the way that they play, uh, the way that Oakland plays, it doesn't bode well for cold-weather games. Even though they can run it with Latavius Murray, but he is, he's not, you know, he's not very consistent. So are they going to have that, um, are they going to have that offensive line? You know, um, is you know uh, Osamelli? Is he going to be back? Uh, you know their huge guard that they got from Baltimore. Is he going to be back? Because that's their role grader. That's the guy that makes that running game going. I mean, you watch. If y'all don't know if you guys watch the, the Oakland Raiders play the Denver Broncos, but they make the Denver Broncos defensive line. They just they just ran right over top of them. I mean, they just beat them down. And so if you can if you can run the ball like that, you know, in, in Kansas City then that bodes well for you. But I just think Kansas City's defensive line is arguably maybe slightly better 
than the Denver Broncos, and that's just because of how you got Don Terry Poe at the defensive tackle position. But then again, they did lose. Um, uh, they lost Derek Johnson, their middle linebacker. And I thought that was that was probably the key reason why the Tennessee Titans won that game because you didn't have that leadership back there, that playmaking ability that Derek Johnson has. And so Kansas City is going to have to do some soul searching also, and they're going to have to get these guys ready. We'll see if Andy Reid and the rest of his staff can get that team ready because I think that they are an absolute playoff team. And I don't really think anybody wants to see Kansas City, especially in Arrowhead. Troy, is uh, this Thursday night surprise for me because no Tannehill and all of a sudden the backup quarterback Moore sort of shows up and just, you know, does his thing, just surprising in that. And this becomes – the Miami Dolphins basically become uh, a a big deal for the Steelers and the Ravens in terms of a playoff picture because they both sit atop of the AFC North and so, which means this uh, coming Sunday's Ravens and Steelers game in Pittsburgh is a big deal because if the, if Pittsburgh wins, uh, that means they clinch the division. But if the Ravens somehow pull it off, the Ravens would be in first and via the tiebreaker, uh, having beaten the Steelers in Baltimore, uh, a loss next week puts the Steelers pretty much their chances in the playoffs in jeopardy. Uh, given, uh, I guess, their head-to-head loss against Miami. So Miami plays a big role here with that big win on Thursday. Yeah, a huge win. And, you know, I, I'm not really surprised with the game. I mean, they beat the New York Jets team. They're just, they're just horrible. They have all of those defensive stalwarts on that team, and they can't bust a grief. I mean, let's just be real about it. Um, so watching them play, you know, with Matt Bourne back there, and, you know, I hadn't seen Matt Moore play in several seasons. But, you know, they were alluding to the way this kid throws a deep ball. I'm just sitting there like, okay, I'm going to sit back and I'm going to watch it. They, were, they weren't lying, man. This dude can put some – he can put some touch on the ball. And that's a rarity, man. I mean, especially since he didn't he hasn't had any work in years, you know, other than preseason and, and probably some, you know, uh, scout team reps and things like that. But he hasn't had any work in years. And to watch him go out there – and still, you know, make passes like that. And he looked better than, than Tannehill did, you know, with throwing football. And so, I don't know, man. I mean, you know, they have a significant investment in Tannehill, but I think what that did was that bought the Miami Dolphins some time, and they could sit back and say, you know what, Ryan, go ahead, just kind of take it easy. You know, we'll go ahead and give you treatment and things like that and just you know, kind of rest up a little bit. We, we think we're good right now because their offense looked better, as far, especially from the passing game than they have all season because Tannehill was, was a, he was just up and down a lot. But Matt Moore, he looked really good out there. Again, it was against an underman or under-talented secondary of the New York Jets with Darrell Rivas being a complete shell of his former self. So we'll see, you know, how they equip themselves next week to see if that was a fluke as far as how Matt Moore played. But I like the way that he played out there. I like how you have players like Cameron Wake who can get past rushing. You never, and people forget, and Dominican Sue is on that team. That defensive line is strong. And so that bodes well for them also going forward because when you're in the playoffs, those trench guys are, can be the difference, the biggest difference between whether or not you can move forward in the playoffs or you go out in that first round. Is Tennessee, uh, Troy, you just mentioned Tennessee. So Tennessee right there at 8 and 6. Um, tied for first and obviously against Houston 
in the South, um, they're looking for obviously their their wild card. So if they get a win in Jacksonville, which I think it should be an easy win in Jacksonville, given the circumstances the Jaguars have right now, they could clinch the division with the victory over Houston in Week 17. And um, the Texans are beatable at this point with the, the quarterback situation going on there with Tom Savage, uh, you know, leading the, the Texans to victory in place of Osweiler. Um, the coach saying this is not about money. It's about putting the you know the right player out there. It's got to be about money, buddy. I mean, come on. It's just, it's just bad money. They sold the farm, somebody that was unproven. Would, would it surprise you if Savage somehow just, you know, takes the reins? Not at all. Not at all. And I, honestly, I'm surprised that more more head coaches don't do it. Listen, I understand that these players have these enormous contracts. I get it. You know, you went ahead, you, you went out the season, you gave Brock Osweiler $17 million, completely unproved. You you gave this guy $17 million bucks because of how he looked in the jersey. He's six foot seven. That's why you gave him $17 million. He didn't earn $17 million. There's no way he did. And then he's going out there. You try to give him chances at chance at chance at chance. All he's done is regress. He's lost confidence. You got to move on at this point. Tom Savage came in there. He got him to win. You got to ride with Tom Savage at this point because you know what? You can't get any worse than how Osweiler played. He's just not a good quarterback at this point. You're going to have to move forward with the hot hand. Contract be damned because listen, as a head coach, if you want to put your line, your your name, your good name on, on the line. With a quarterback who's not playing well just because of how much money he makes, well, good luck. Because you know what? You need to go with the guy who's going to try to get you the wins. That's what keeps you in the league. That's what keeps you, you know, employed by winning, especially winning when it comes down to, you know, crunch time and getting in the playoffs. And O'Brien has a, uh, has an opportunity to get back-to-back division titles. So that's, like you said, that his his stuff is on the line. <laughs> it's this is not the quarterback at this point because it's, it's, it's his livelihood on the line. If he can if he can get Savage to muster the wins, they're going to have to face Tennessee last week of the season. You know Mariota and company want the division title too. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, Bill O'Brien just basically went through those steps that you just mentioned and said, you're done, buddy. <laughs> Somebody needs to get yeah. me that win. And I just I wish more coaches would do that. Listen, if you're not getting it done, you will sit down. Just that's that. You know what I mean? A lot of coaches give you that hard line stance, but for some reason they still continuously let players go out there and embarrass themselves and embarrass the team and, you know, make stupid plays or not make plays at all, and they do that solely because of an investment that the owner made. Well, I mean, listen, if you're going to fire me, fire me. But we're going to, you're going to fire me by me going and out doing it my way because I know this team, I know the talent. You know how much you pay for the person. I think I'm in a better position to say who should play on this team than the owner is, if I'm a head coach. Your high-powered Chiefs, steady Chiefs at this point now, they're kind of like up and down in the last week or so. And this past week, they got a taste of their own medicine in terms of trying to pull the game out. Uh, So Tennessee really – you know, did a number here. They they come back. Uh, they put the Chiefs back, basically back in the wild card mix. Uh, they're trailing Oakland in the division at this point. Uh, with the Dolphins in the mix, like I said, uh, ball, uh, Pittsburgh and Baltimore. 
really in the mix and relying on also uh, Miami relying there, what happens there. But uh, uh, Kansas city has some work to do to get in. So they have to beat Denver at Denver. And then they're, they got to go on the road against the, you know, what I call the sporadic chargers one week, went one week out, one weekend. They're just, you know, they're, they're not consistent. So um, you think KC can do that? I, I just think they're built for that. I just think they are built to take on whatever challenge that you can throw at them. If you are a team that throws the ball a lot, they have defensive backs back there that can absolutely make plays. They have pass rushers who can get after the quarterback. If you want to run the ball, they have a defensive line that can stop the run. You have, you know, linebackers who fly around to the ball. They're consistent. You know, you know again, the, the biggest thing is Derek Johnson is out for the season. He tore his Achilles up. They're going to have to get some people behind that. They're going to have to they're going to have to start coaching people up there, and so that I think that's going to be the biggest thing. That was a huge blow, a huge blow. That's your signal caller. That's the guy that aligns everybody. He's crazy smart. When you watch him align how you know the defenses, this guy he just he knows where everyone is supposed to be at, and he is rarely out of position, and so he will be really missed. Now, um, when it comes down to um, the Baltimore Ravens. They're playing Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh this week. And so, of course, this is one of the biggest rivalries in the NFL. It's kind of taking a step back, but it's still Baltimore-Pittsburgh. This is serious business. And so whoever wins this game, they're going to be, you know, in, in the driver's seat as far as the division. And so pivotal game, pivotal game. I mean, you got to uh, that, – that team is, is extremely underrated, especially on defense. Right now, I believe they're ranked number one in the NFL. Now, they're not the Ravens of, you know, Ray Lewis and, and those playmakers out there, but what they do is they, what they do very well is they fundamentally play football. And that goes well for them because you're going against a Pittsburgh team who can who can light it up. they got a lot of offensive weapons. They can throw deep. They can run the football. Of course, you got Antonio Brown. Le'Veon Bell's a dual threat. He can do pretty much everything you can everything in that backfield, but this team, the Baltimore Ravens, they know Pittsburgh. And so they're not going to be surprised by anything that Pittsburgh does. They're very familiar with it. So when you when, when you talk about your consummate late-season NFL football game, the first thing that really comes to my mind is Pittsburgh-Baltimore. So I'm definitely going to be tuned in for that game at 430. Um, I cannot wait for that game. That, that's, the, that's the game that I want to see. Troy, the biggest disappointment is it the Bengals more than the Browns? Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, listen, I had Cincinnati going to the Super Bowl this year. I did, man. I love the way the rifle, the red rifle, played last year. I love that. I love Andy Dalton. AJ Green is probably my favorite receiver in the NFL because the guy just steadily gets it done. He doesn't have all the flashy moves and the dancing and all of that stuff. And, and it, dancing doesn't bother. I feel like if you score a touchdown, by all means, celebrate all you want. But all I'm saying is that A.J. Green goes about his business, you know, and he all he does is just flat out gets it done. You had, uh, you know, you got uh, running the football with Hill and back there and on the defense. You know, you got uh, Vontez Burfecht. Everyone hates the guy, but listen, he's a he's a linebacker. That dude plays with ferocity. 
I wish I had 100 perfects on my team. I would take, I, honestly, I would take 53 Montez perfects on my team. And I would take all the penalties that go along with it because he's an absolute football player. And so when you watch this team kind of falter like that with all the talent that they have on their roster, you had to try to, fig, try to figure out what the hell is going on with this team. And they started off the season like this before A.J. Green got hurt. And so, you know, it looks like A.J. Green is coming back this week. Um, they have, uh, initially thought he had a torn hamstring, but, you know, it looks like he'll be able to go this week. Uh, even if they do, they're pretty much out of the playoff mix at this point because of all the great records and the great teams that are in the AFC. But, man, I'm really disappointed in Cincinnati, and I'm also very disappointed in San Diego, a team that is consistently injury-riddled. They have 18, 18 players on IR that have season-ending injuries this year. And this is the same old thing for San Diego. I'm starting to really think that the problem with San Diego Chargers is that they have a horrible facility. They have a horrible training facility. They have a horrible stadium. I think that's the biggest thing. Hopefully, either San Diego, which uh, which I really hope, they give them the stadium that they need and the training facility, and, or they move to L.A., which they will also get that, you know, those same two uh, amenities going forward. Yeah, it's kind of a sad story there, considering, you know, this is an NFL squad and the owner can't even put up a nice, decent training facility. It's pretty pathetic. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, NFC, we talked to Nkishi before she bailed here. She's all excited, 12-2. and two. But the pesky Giants are lurking like sharks, Troy. So uh, Dallas has to wait at least another week to clinch the East and a number one seed. So it's going to take the New York Giants loss on this coming Thursday or a Dallas win next Monday uh, that would do both. Do you think the Giants are going to lose on Thursday? No. I mean, they're playing Philadelphia. Philadelphia's horrible. They're, they're just a bad football team. And they, they really just don't have a whole lot of talent on offense. Um, I'm not really impressed with their defensive talent either, you know, with the exception of Fletcher Cox. But they really just don't have the weapons to compete on offense. I like Carson Wentz. I like the way he's going. Um, I think he's going to be a serviceable quarterback. I don't think he's going to be a superstar that everybody's you know, saying he's going to be. Uh, they just don't have the weapons. But then again, this is a rivalry. This is Philadelphia Giants. This is one of those rivalries where, you know, you basically have to, you know, these two teams, they don't even fly to see each other. They just get on buses and just go down to New Jersey Turnpike. So these are one of those games, man, where you kind of throw out the records. Neither one of these teams really like each other. The cities really don't like each other. It's just going to be nasty. Um, I think the weather is going to be pretty cold also this Thursday, so – this is one of those, you know, where we complain about these Thursday games. I'll take this one. I'll watch this one, you know, because I, I just like to see rivalry games that just good old-fashioned hate. But I don't think the Giants are going to lose this game. The Giants have played every single game pretty close uh, this season. I don't think this would be any different, but I still think that they ended up pulling off the win. Seattle, should they be scared? The Falcons now are really starting to pick up momentum. So, uh, you know, besides routing the Niners, which you said that was going to be just pretty much a no-brainer because San Francisco is pretty bad also, just like the Jets. Um, the Falcons will finish against the Panthers at, and at home versus New Orleans, so in their own division. So winnable games for them, if that's the case. Um, and that would also put them in a bye if the Seahawks lose a game. So, um 
Atlanta seems to be probably going to be the number three seed, right? Uh, looks like it um, because you know the the final two games uh, for for the Seattle Seahawks is the Cardinals at home, and then they have they have to go on the road on New Year's Day to play the Forty ers Go ahead and pencil on that. I mean, <laughs> so I mean, they're not going to get much of a much of a fight from the Forty ers I can guarantee that. Um, the Cardinals, Arizona maybe right, but yeah, maybe. And Arizona's beaten them in Seattle, but that that Arizona team was last year's team. Carson Palmer looks very old. He looks very old out there. He he doesn't look like you know Carson Palmer himself. Um, so I don't think, especially going into that place, I don't think they have what it takes. I mean, because they they're basically relying on uh, two people, um, Larry Fitzgerald. And and uh, and Johnson, the running back out of you know uh, out of Northern Iowa, so I just really think that it bodes well for for the Seattle Seahawks going forward. I don't think they're really worried about the Atlanta Falcons. I think all they're figuring is we'll take care of business. We'll get our first round by, you know, um, and then we'll get a home playoff game. And if they end up playing Dallas, uh, who, who is ahead of them right now in the seeding for now. I just think that they feel pretty confident either way, whether they go to Dallas or they play at home against someone like New York Giants or uh, the Green Bay Packers or Detroit or whoever. I just think that they feel real comfortable, um, you know, in any of those games because they've been, they've been there before. They're the veterans. Now, Troy, the biggest, the biggest disappointment besides Cincinnati out of the playoffs would be the Lions out of the playoffs, given their season, how they've done some good things with Tate, and obviously Stafford going over uh, with you know with fanfare so far. But they're still in first in the North. Uh, their loss to the Giants pretty much puts Detroit sort of a you know in a panic mode uh, because if next Monday they go against Dallas, if they get beat by Dallas, they have to face Aaron Rodgers the last game of the season, which in turn, at the way it's working out right now, would decide the division title. And if, if they, they get beat by the Packers, they would completely be out of the playoffs. So uh, if you're a Lions fan, pretty scary, right? Absolutely. And I think the scariest part of that is the Green Bay Packers. Because, listen, man, Aaron Rodgers has run that division. He has run that division. So – they know what this kid can do. They know what that what that grown man can do, you know. So the, what they don't want to do is have it come down to this last game. So what they're hoping is is that, you know, Green Bay takes the loss and, you know, they win and then, you know, it, it, they can go ahead and, and wrap it up at that point. What they don't want to see is for this to come down to, you know, Detroit versus Green Bay. Um. Anytime you have Aaron Rodgers on the other side, to me, I, you know, he's still, in my opinion, the best quarterback in the NFL. And I say that now, and, and people kind of look at me sideways, and um, you know, they try, you know, spouting off all these other names, and I'm like, all of these guys are Johnny come lately to me. You look, Carr, uh, Ryan, having he's having a renaissance year. I mean, you got to throw Brady out there, of course. You got to throw Tom Brady out there. Um, but I just think that overall. When you look at the overall skill set of a of an NFL quarterback, 
there is no better quarterback out there than Aaron Rodgers. And I think Detroit knows that, and they really don't want to face that guy for a winner-take-all situation. Yeah, it's, uh, that's what I'm saying. It's like because if you're if you're Detroit, it's like the rear view window. You're you already have pretty much uh, Rodgers looking behind you just to see what you're going to do, and you're going up against Dallas, which you know I'm pretty sure Prescott would just love to finish up with maybe a 14 and two record. So I'm I doubt Dallas is going to just roll over on Detroit. So they're really going to have to come in with their A game against. Uh, the uh, Cowboys, and then for sure they would have to come, you know, big time against the Packers. Yeah, and you know, I just the way the way this can all shake out, especially because uh, Minnesota is coming into Lambeau uh, this weekend, and um, where's Detroit playing? Detroit's playing Dallas, right? Okay, so. Oh, man, that's, that's 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 tough, dude. That's that's a tough game, especially with Dallas. I mean, Detroit has to go on the road to play this game, also. So that's a second road game that they have coming up, and then they go home to play Green Bay. Oh man, uh, Detroit really wants to go ahead and get all of this stuff done. The good thing for Detroit is is that they play Monday, and what happens is they don't have to watch the scoreboard too much while the game is going on. Because everything that they'll know, you know, as far as what they need to do, will unfold for them. They'll know close on Thursday if, you know, if um, if uh, the Philadelphia Eagles beat the Giants, then that will mean that the Dallas Cowboys clinch the division. Will that mean that Dallas arrests their starters? Dallas has already said that they're not going to arrest their starters. They're going to keep they're going to keep it running. Uh, if Minnesota, you know, loses to Green Bay, so then Detroit knows, okay, we definitely have to, we have to win this game here because we want to stay ahead. But either way, it's still, if even if Green Bay, if if Minnesota loses that game to Green Bay, it's still going to have to be a winner take all, whether Detroit wins or loses. So all the marbles will be on Detroit going into that game um, in Week 17. And I really, again, don't think Detroit wants to be in that kind of situation. They'd rather go ahead and wrap it up this week. So you talked about the Redskins' lousy loss. So that Ugh. really hurts for uh, the Redskins at 7-6-1, which had the number six seed um, if they had won. But if they went into the playoffs, if they would have won uh, against Carolina, they pretty much have nothing uh, else to play with, no scenarios here. So – Big blow in Washington, given the the, uh, the season that they had. Yeah, I mean, they had, you know, they had everything to look forward to, um, and they, they just flat out blew it. And so now they need help all over the place. They need a whole lot to go right for them to get into the playoffs. And, you know, that's not the position you want to be in. You, don't, you really don't want to depend on, a whole bunch of other teams to lose. So what they'll need to happen is they'll need Green Bay to lose. They'll need Tampa Bay to lose. And then they would win. And then they would be back in the sixth. They would be back at the sixth seed. And then again, they have to finish up the season against the New York Giants, who is still really fighting for that. Um, it's still a possibility uh, that they can um, – well, well, Dallas has already won the division. So um, – New York can't get any higher than a fifth seed. So it would just really be up to 
whether Tampa wins or, or, I mean, Tampa and Green Bay lose and Washington wins. If that happens, then Washington is back into the sixth seed. So Washington will be, you know, looking at the scoreboard and also trying to face a, a, a Chicago Bears team who has a bad record but have lately looked really spry out there. Um, you got to like Matt Barkley throwing the ball around the yard. They can run the ball. Um, they, they they look like a completely, completely different football team being the Chicago Bears now that they have a, an actual serviceable quarterback. And I just think that everyone in Chicago is happy that they can finally just move away from that from that bum Jay Cutler. <laughs> just, oh, man. That's, Seriously? That's just, oh. oh, my God. That's, that that was hard it's... to watch that guy play. But they can run yeah. the football. They can yeah. run the football with Jordan Howard. You know this, this guy's been he's been balling all year, so it's not going to be an easy game at all for the Redskins, especially since they have not been playing well the past three and four weeks. So this is going to be a huge game for the Redskins, either way you look at it. So bottom line is Detroit uh, Green Bay is probably going to screw a lot of people if they continue to win. They run the table. Pretty much what it ends up being, right? Washington will yeah, get screwed. Detroit we get screwed. <laughs> so uh, yeah. the chances of Aaron Rodgers screwing up <laughs> probably slim to none, given the uh, how big of a factor they have now. But it's really what it boils down to, right? Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers yeah. and, the, and the Packers would have to lose for everybody else to even get a chance. Otherwise, you're screwed. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and it's not to mention that the Redskins and Kirk Cousins have already beaten the Green Bay Packers, but it's that tie that tie that's really kind of marring up all of the works here. They had the tiebreaker against the Green Bay Packers, and I believe they had the tiebreaker against Tampa Bay because of the conference record. But, you know, that tie is really ruining things for them. It could at the end, or it also could be a benefit at the end. So, you know, we'll kind of just have to wait and see how everything shakes out. But it's going to be an interesting week, of course, to say the least. So everyone will be watching the scoreboard. You've got a lot of people out, out there that also have their fantasy Super Bowl this week. So it's going to be all eyes on everything out here, buddy. I hate to be a Detroit fan because I'm telling you, it just it's a scary thought that somebody's lurking on you. Uh, given the success you've had this season without Megatron, you would think they would, you know, they would go to the playoffs. But you never know. Green Bay could falter, but just doesn't seem that way right now at, at this point. It just seems like Aaron Rodgers is heating up. It's pretty pretty impressive in that sense. If they if they go and win the next two, they'd be at ten and six. What a run for them this season. And then um, you have what the would be up to the number three seed. So you, they would have an outside chance to claim number two if they kept winning. Um, so their chances are really good because the Seahawks would have to lose to either Arizona or San Francisco, um, you know, at, at that point, and then Green Bay would get the edge. I mean, I don't know. Stranger things have happened. The Seahawks have not played well on the road. So uh, it could true. be, you know, they could, you know what I mean? So I don't know. But I, th- I think you have to be scared of Rodgers and company right now, um, sort of like the, the Brady Act, you know what I mean? It's just you can't count them out. Yeah, you don't want to, especially in either way. You don't want to, you don't want to run into a hot team going into the playoffs. That's what you don't want, and that's what they are right now. They're just they're on a roll right now. So, you know that's that, that's not good. That's not a good look for Minnesota or the Detroit Lions. All right, I, I just want to mention that uh, for the Pro Bowl, 
defensive tackle Aaron Donald on my team and uh, the our punter Hecker are going to go to the Pro Bowl. What crap! What crap. <laughs> uh, you know, congratulations to our punter for going to the Pro Bowl. What the hell is that? Can you believe that? I, I just had my alert like an hour ago, and I'm the punter is going to the Pro Bowl. I mean, he had a great season. I'll I'll give him that, but. God, really? The punters going to the Pro Bowl? Nobody else? Wow. It's pretty bad. Yeah, pretty I mean, bad. I, was, I was pretty happy. I got four four of my guys under there. It should have been five. I thought Josh Norman should have made it. Uh, but, you know, I got Trent Williams, Ryan Kerrigan, Jordan Reed, and Brandon Scherf. Everyone gave uh, Scott McLuhan, the Redskins GM, they gave him a lot of flack for picking the right guard instead of, um, you know, picking uh, Williams out of USC or – or picking uh, Vic Beasley out of uh, Clemson. But they picked Brandon Sheriff in his second year. He's a Pro Bowl guard. So, hey, man, you know, congratulations to the four Pro Bowl players for the Redskins. Again, should have been five. But, you know, it should have been six, actually, with Kirk Cousins. But, you know, I'll go ahead and take it, man. Well, of course you will. And they will all hook up with my punter. <laughs> Orlando. <laughs> that just bites. Can you pass me another beer? Because I really need another drink. Just got to pour the beers here. Um, I it's hear you, bad. Man. Thank God Fisher's gone. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, college football. Um, oh, by the way, he did say he would like to face the Rams again. I don't know why he would do that, because the last time he lost to the Super Bowl by a, a yard. <laughs> so, all right, buddy. Go ahead, dreamland, dreamland. <laughs> um, uh, so we got Alabama taking on Washington. I believe it's going to be in the Peach Bowl. So, Troy, can it, it sort of explain to me here, 13-0 Alabama will face number four, Washington. So uh, let's go into the playoff picture here for the bowl for January, New Year's, and all that. And you got, I presume it's going to be Clemson, Ohio State. Is that how it works? Right. You got Clemson, Ohio State, and Washington, Alabama. Um, Alabama, man, I mean, they look like, they look as good as a pro team. It's almost unfair the amount of talent that that team has. And it's just, it's so many positions, they have so much depth. They're a college football team, and their top ten defensive, their top ten defensive linemen, from defensive end to defensive tackle, have ten guys who can, who conceivably will be drafted or play in the NFL. I mean, these guys are just—they're just maniacs. They—they—they they, they, they know how to play football. Nick Saban recruits better than anyone in the country. He's always in the top. Uh, you know, one or two in, you know, in college football when it comes to the rankings of, of, of uh, you know, when it comes to recruits. So this guy, man, he just he just flats out get it done in recruiting. And then when he gets these guys in there, they buy in and they, you know, they don't really worry about stats. They just, they all they want to do is win. They all they want, they just want to get ranked. So Washington, man, I mean, they have, they have, a, they have a very good team. They have a very good team, but I just I'm looking at it from a standpoint of how do they beat them? I know you're you're Washington? Troy. You're looking at you're looking at Patriots taking on like <laughs> the West Coast 
toughest team, right? I mean, technically the yeah. NFC's toughest team or something like that. I know. It, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just it's unfair. That's what you're saying pretty much. Yeah, and obviously they have a chance. They have a chance, but, I mean, oh, man. I mean, you know, Jake Browning had a great year. He was one of the Heisman finalists. But then again, so was Jalen Hurts. And you got Gaskin, who he ran for 1,300 yards this year. Um, you got Ross, who's, you know, he's caught 1,000 yards. All of that means nothing when you get on the field against Alabama. I mean, because they just flat out shut you down. That's, that's it. They take away whatever you do best, and they'll they'll beat you. That's that's just what they do. And then on offense, what they'll do is they'll run, they'll run, they'll run, they wear you down. And after a while, you start to see, you know, players like Scarborough um, and and and, um, and Damian Harris breaking long runs on you, just big backs that just pound you into the ground. Man, that's just it, – it's great to watch, but it's almost unfair because of the amount of talent that the Alabama team has. You do realize that the Washington fans really do want the number one team. So it would be a huge upset if the Washington team could pull pull this off, right? Oh, my God. I think it would probably be the biggest upset in – in college football playoff history, of course, because, I mean, this, the playoff history hasn't been that long, but possibly in bowl history, you know? I mean, I, I just I, I really can't think of a bigger upset than that. I mean, maybe Texas-USC back in 2006, uh, or 2005, rather. Man. But, yeah, this, this one has all the makings of that, man. So, I mean, if, if somehow, some way – the you know the Washington Huskies can pull this out. That would be prop that in my opinion that'd be the biggest upset in history because this Alabama team has a loss in, in two years now. So yeah, that would be a huge upset. So them calling out Bama is that sort of premature there, or do you think they really have a shot? I don't think they have a shot at all. I really don't. I, I don't. I don't see. Maybe they're trying to psych themselves up. I I don't get it. I don't get it. You, you don't you don't do that. You don't do that. You don't kick that team. And there and let me tell you something. Alabama is not going to say a word. They're not going to say a word. They're so disciplined. You know they're so focused on what at the game at hand. They're, you know Washington talk is not going to take them out of their game whatsoever. Nick Saban will will let them know. Listen, you, when you get to these press conferences on Twitter and social media. You don't say a damn word. You don't say anything. You know, respect the opponent, but when we get out there, we're going to kick their ass, and that's that's all they're going to do. Do you think the Cleveland Browns want Bama? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> get a beat down. <laughs> hey, you know, you, hey, here's, here's an odd fact. Here's a very odd fact. Okay? Uh, Nick Saban, best college coach probably in the history, okay? Bill Belichick best coach in NFL history, possibly, right? Both of those coaches were coaching at the same time when Bill Belichick was the coach of the, of the Cleveland Browns. How stupid does that organization look right now? Very they, stupid. They also have, Very yeah. stupid. It's, it's ridiculous how stupid they are. Uh, it's almost they as also, dumb as not starting golf on week one. That's how dumb yeah. this is. It's almost as – yeah. You, Pretty pathetic. Here's, yeah. an, here's another one. Last year, remember we were talking about the Iowa Hawkeyes when they were 11 and 0, right? Kirk Ferris yeah. is their coach. He was also a coach on that Cleveland Browns team. 
It's just, <laughs> it's just that's how bad wow. the Cleveland Browns are, man. It's just it's awful. It's awful. You know, uh, the only saving grace for them is they're going to be like winless, and they're going to be right next to the state that had the next winless team, which is Michigan, which is Detroit. So that's probably the only comforting oh, thing for them. One state yeah. over, you know, I mean, lousy teams on both sides. Uh, I don't know if this this Brown team doesn't seem as horrible as that Detroit team. If we had to put it in no. perspective, I think that no. Detroit team was a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, I guess Cleveland's team problem is they're just young. I mean, they have 15 draft picks, and they're, they're, they have them all. They have every last one of those guys on their team. They all made the team, and you you never see that in the NFL. Even guys, like most teams, they draft seven players. Cleveland drafted 15, and they kept all of them. Most teams, they draft seven guys, and you probably cut maybe two, sometimes even cut three guys that you drafted. But they kept them all. So they, what that means is that they're playing young guys. And so, you know, when they said at the beginning of the season that this season is about, isn't about wins and losses, they weren't lying. You know, they really – they want they to they build talent. And what they've done as far as, like, putting the draft picks together, you at least see a plan there. You know, with Detroit, it just looked like they just played bad football. That was it, you know. But these guys, they seem like they have a plan. So, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Cleveland does. You want to see what they do with the quarterback position. RG3 had a two-year contract. This dude cannot stay healthy. I love the guy, man. He's one of my favorite players back in 2012. But he can't stay healthy, and you want to see it. They're going to keep him on the roster or actually move him, you know, or keep him as a starter, or are they going to draft another quarterback in this year coming up, or are they going to go forward with RG3 and Cody Custis? Um, Troy, do you think uh, Chris Peterson, the coach at, for the Huskies, said that you would, should be careful for what you wish for because he didn't hold up that sign, you know, for, for beating Bama, given the fact that uh, purple is a bruised color? So he probably already knows he's got a big, big task ahead of him. Well, Chris Peterson was used to be the coach for the Boise State uh, Broncos. Now, Boise State, they got put on the map a little bit ago, um, and they had sustained excellence for a while. And so they went into a bowl game in the Fiesta Bowl against the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma Sooners are just, I mean, compared to Boise State, I mean, I remember they were talking about this. They had like a, I don't know if it was a 30 for 30, but I know it was some kind of documentary on it. And so the Boise State players are saying, you know, we're coming out there for warm-ups, and, you know, we run through our line and we're doing all this. And we see Oklahoma come around out there, and these guys are enormous. You know, they've got guys that's like 6'8", 335 pounds, complete monsters, right? Just physical specimens. Adrian Peterson was on this team. Trent Williams for the for the Redskins was on this Oklahoma team. And so Boise State is looking around like, man, how the hell are we going to be compete against these guys? But Chris Peterson, man, dude, man, he he pulled out, when you hear somebody say pull out all the stops, he pulled out every trick in the book. When you get a chance, go look up um, Boise State versus Oklahoma um, final touchdown play. And you watch the Statue of Liberty play that they ran to win that ball game against Oklahoma. Huge upset. And not to mention when the kid scored the touchdown, his name slips on mine. He scored a touchdown. He went to the end zone and he proposed to his girlfriend, who was a cheerleader for Boise State. That was just a great moment. No one thought that Chris Peterson could lead his team to that victory. 
And if he does this again, man, this should be wow. I mean, this is Alabama. And Oklahoma was sort of like in that Alabama mode around this time. They were just big, bruising, knock you down. They were just a great football team. And so if he can do that again, you starting to put this guy up there, man, for, for definitely coach of the year award next year. And, and man, the sky's the limit for Chris Peterson. Troy, um, I can't finish my last bowl game. I just feel like I need to go to the NFL now. So I really appreciate everybody helping me out through this whole time. And I, I really, I really thank you for all your sweat and effort, but uh, I know this is a big deal, but, uh, it's a bigger deal for me to go make bigger money and get stay healthy. So you guys go out there and, and do your thing. I'm going to, I'm going to go prep. What is this McCaffrey guy thinking he's, you know what I mean? And this, this Leonard Fournay, I mean, uh, I mean, is that, is that a quitting attitude or is it just giving up? Or, I mean, what's, what's the mindset there? I know it's gotta be an injury issue, right? I mean, it's gotta be a, a huge thing where, if you get into a situation, maybe you get injured, your your price tag goes down. I mean, is that the right mindset to have at this point? I mean, that's just I don't know. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I say that because of this. Okay, let me give you this slate of ball games that you have coming up this week. Okay, you got BYU versus Wyoming, you have Idaho versus Colorado State, you have Eastern Michigan versus Old Dominion. You have Louisiana Tech versus Navy, and you have Ohio versus Troy. I'll throw another one in there, Hawaii versus Middle Tennessee State. Which one of those games really kind of like blew your skirt up? Are you happy and excited to see any of those bowl games? I love college football, okay? And I would say that the only two games that I'm really interested in would be the BYU-Wyoming game because Wyoming scores a lot of points, and BYU has a great running back who you'll see in the NFL, so Jamal Williams. And then you have Louisiana Tech and Navy because I just like watching Navy play, but they're down to their third-string quarterback. So I say that to say this. College football, especially with the college football playoff now, they are still oversaturating the waves with these bowl games that really don't mean anything other than to the schools that are actually playing. And even those schools really don't want to travel to these bowl games that aren't really worth anything. And so if you're Leonard Fournette, you could possibly be the first pick in the draft, okay? And you go out there, and you're playing in the – I believe they're playing in the Citrus Bowl this year. And you go out there, and you blow out a knee, a la uh, Willis McGahee, when Willis McGahee – well, at least Willis McGahee was playing in the national championship game against Ohio State when this happened. That's what I'm saying. If it's not a real big – if it's not a real major yeah, bowl, you know, not? top four, you're not in the top four teams. Uh, yeah. Most people made a big deal out of it because it, they're saying that's disappointing and everything else. That's why I brought it up because – but in reality, if you're not playing for the national championship, then why would you risk that? That's really what exactly. it boils down to at this point. Yeah, and, and I, think, I, I think this is going to start a trend toward bigger players, bigger name players are going to start doing the same thing. They're going to sit back and say, you know what, I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play this bowl game. Because what am I going to get out of this? Some bowl trophy? Who cares? You know, I mean, on the grand scheme of things, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. What does matter, though, is that Leonard Fournette is still healthy and he could possibly be the first, round, the first pick in the draft, all right? Christian McCaffrey could be possibly a first-round pick, could be a third-round pick, although this kind of depends on his combine numbers. 
But either way, what she didn't want to do with either one of those players is risk injury for a completely meaningless game. So if you have more players start doing this, what you're going to start doing is going to trend toward people kind of eliminating these kind of mundane bowl games and adding more playoff games. So I think this is a good thing that you're going to start seeing these high these high um, uh, visibility players start, you know, saying to themselves, "They're not, we're not going to play this game," and coaches are just going to have to go along with it because they're leaving anyway. All right, so Troy, before we get out of here, I've got to get your take. Um, MMA Rossi returns December 30th. Uh, I really, she, I, I think she really got outmatched uh, on her last. And our last um, against home, uh, Holmes, uh, because I think she was just more of a bully style and not a wrestling style in karate. So I'm, I, you think she's adjusted at this point? I think it's going to be against what Nunez, right? So uh, where do you see Rossi at here? Another loss, or does she just make a comeback? Man, it's been kind of strange, man. Right? I mean, because you're not really used to seeing her try to come back from a loss and I guess you know the last time she fought was maybe what was it two years ago three years ago man I mean this, this is about a year and a half really ago about a year and a half ago it was a year and a half okay so I mean it was a really long layoff and to watch her you know get punished by Holly Holm like that and now she's coming back she's going to fight you know it's going to be on New Year's Eve um man I, I you know I want to see how she looks when she gets in the ring is she going to have that kind of, you know, that thousand-yard stare, or is she going to go out there afraid of getting knocked out again? You know, because that's really the difference between a lot of these fighters. You know, you see all these great fighters, and they're just kicking ass all over the place. But then when you see them get hit, you see them get knocked down, like a la Roy Jones. And, you know, after that, it was just it was just an avalanche of him getting knocked out left and right. How is that going to affect her? So I want to see how Ronda Rousey equips herself. But honestly, I think the way that she goes about, you know, uh, her training and the way that she has her mindset, I just think she's going to win this one. I think she can't wait to get out there. I think she's definitely going to go for a knockout also. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to, it, it really will determine her mental state even worse than the, than the, than the loss that she had in the first about because I think she was overhyped. WWE style, and I think she was overly promotionalized because she was basically the ticket for UFC. So now reality has sink in. It's sort of like um, you know when Goldberg was the thing in WC, uh, WCW, and all of a sudden, you know he kind of just went away uh, when they you know they created this this huge thing where he's just a beast, and all of a sudden here, here's Ross uh, Ronda Rossi is the same uh, action as as basically Bill Bill Goldberg. It's just the the reality is going to be more pressure on her, I think, than the opponent because the opponent is just coming in to win. She's coming in to make a statement of a rebound win. So that's going to be huge. That's going to be December 30th. Um, so I'm a big fan of hers. I hope she does rebound and she does well. But if she, get, if he t- if she takes back-to-back losses, really going to crush her legend status. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know if she was – I, I, I kind of want to stay on the side of her not being overhyped. I just think she took a bad fight. You know, she she went out there against somebody who whose fighting style is completely opposite of hers. Like, it wasn't, 
you know, but you got to give her credit to sit back and say that, you know, the, the, the fighter that she was going against, Holly Holm, you know, it, didn't, it wasn't really conducive to her style, but she went out there with, you know, kind of ballsy and was saying, you know, I'll beat anybody out there. And then, it, you know, obviously that fact that it's not true. So maybe she should kind of take a page out of Floyd Mayweather and only kind of fight the, the fighters that, you know, kind of fit their style. You know, so you wouldn't see Floyd Mayweather, who's got, he's about 5'7", and see this guy fighting a guy with 6'2", with maybe like a 7-inch reach. So... Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think that's really what it's going to boil down to. Is is what is she going to do at this point with um, you know her return? Everybody's going to be anticipating that. So you're going to watch it on December 30th. So Troy, uh, college football frenzy right now. It's going to be great. I mean, coming up another week, and then we got next Tuesday, the last Tuesday for us for the year. Uh, for Inkishi, if you're listening, really appreciate you being part of the program all year. The last couple, you know, almost 18 or so months. Troy, yourself, really nice working with you. To all our network partners out there, I really, uh, you know, give everybody a shout-out. Right before Christmas here, um, AFI, which is American Football International. We also uh, have the uh, network with Women's Gridiron, GI Quindom, UK First Down, NFL Hispano, Attaclio, Tercer Cuarto out of Mexico, um, Ram Fan Riot, Neil Neil Rosenthal, Holly Custis, um, you know Michael Burmy, uh, Darren Stanky, and uh, Mark Staferi, as well as Mike Del Rio. So everybody that has been part of the show this year, uh, big shout out to you guys for contributing to our program, as well as bringing attention to the women's game. Ultimately, Troy, thanks again. I'll see you next Tuesday. Have a good Christmas. Hope everything works out for you. Safe travels out there with family and everything. And uh, we'll, we'll catch you guys here on the Great Iron Blitz right here, right here on Block Talk Radio next Tuesday as our final show of the year comes around for 2016. Don't forget to take our survey on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we'll catch you here next week. So, Troy, have a great uh, Christmas. And Keisha, a great Christmas. We'll see you here next week on the Great Iron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio. Have a good one, guys.